Welcome to a special parent series, an offshoot of the Success is Subjective podcast, still brought to you by the collegealternative.org website, presented by Lilly Consulting, and I'm still your host, Joanna Lilly. As with the evolution of any podcast, I was hearing from more and more parents about how they wish that they could share their story, how they'd wish that they'd known others were going through similar experiences, how they'd wish they'd known it was okay for their child to get help earlier, or how they'd wish they'd even known that therapeutic consultants existed. That's how this special series came to be. Each month, I'll be releasing anonymous parent interviews as they briefly share their emotions, talk through their biggest fears, and impart a piece of advice for other parents out there that may have a struggling adolescent or young adult. This special series feels liberating and instills hope. Without even broaching the topic of success, we are inherently talking about the shifts in what success looks like through the eyes of a parent whose child is struggling with their mental health or substance use. It almost doesn't need to be said, but of course I'm going to say it anyways. Success for each of these parents and their child is subjective. This next interview is of a parent who is comfortable being named because she talks about her story publicly. Stephanie's journey began when her son was 17 and his marijuana use became an issue in regard to school and as a member of their family. The turning point came one evening when he was acting strangely incoherent speech, wobbly gait, etc. They knew then that he wasn't just quote-unquote experimenting with pot. What they uncovered was in addition to smoking pot, he was using hallucinogens and Ambien on a regular basis. Ironically, both Stephanie and her husband work in the addiction field and have been involved with Al-Anon and AA for years prior to this event. But when it came to their son, they quickly realized they needed guidance and support. That's when they turned to professionals to get their son help. To make this story even more special, next week's interview will actually be with Michael, Stephanie's son, as he shares his perspective of his journey through young adulthood and into sobriety. Let's not wait any longer. Here's Stephanie. All right, we're going to dive right in. Thank you for being here. Um, Why don't you go ahead and just kind of fill me in, describe how you felt when your child was struggling and kind of was making some decisions that were surprising you. You know, at first it started with concern and we came into this, my husband and I, my husband was already in recovery 13 years or so. And so we were, we saw signs early on, grades started to go down. I was coming in for teacher conferences. And I remember one of the biggest signs was our son wasn't showing up for dinner. We always had family dinner. So even if he, he always had an excuse or if he showed up, he would leave right away. There was no family chit chat. So we kind of knew something was going on. And since we're in recovery, we were looking for drug use signs and we missed them. And here we should know them. And we couldn't figure out what was wrong. And finally, we got a call from a neighbor who said my son had been or our son had been smoking pot. So we brought him home and they knew we, we had set up this, we'd edu- well educated our kids about the pitfalls of using drugs and, you know, peer pressure and, but they had this 
possible gene in their system. Like, you know, you're, you're going to go all out if you find this. So we, we actually got a call about our daughter and our son at the same time that they both had smoked pot. So we get some drug tests and our daughter, of course, who's just a normal human being, fesses up, gets grounded, whatever. Our son, we put the, we always say she folded like a $2 card table. Our son, on the other hand, here's the other warning sign. We put the drug test on the table and we said, we can make this easier, we can make this hard. We hear you're smoking pot. And boy, did he go into his lies and his excuses and no, and it took like a half hour. And finally he admitted that he had been smoking pot. So we did the normal parent things that you're told to do. You know, we, he was grounded. We took away his cell phone, limited who he was going to see after school, that type of thing. The things we thought we knew to do. It progressed to, he would come home with the, uh, you know, red eyes or the whatnot. And I'll never forget, he had just been grounded and got off of grounding and he comes in and it was obvious he had been smoking pot. And I just looked at him and I said, I know you're kidding me. Go to your room till your dad gets home. And our son screamed down, okay, but will you make me a grilled cheese sandwich? And I said, no, I will not make you a grilled cheese sandwich. I was so upset. And I was crushed because as a parent, you know, you're, you're put here on the earth to help your kids. And here I was in a situation that I help people every day. I work in the, in the recovery, in the treatment industry, and it was my own child. And I felt like I was falling short. And um, so we knew it was getting bad. We started to talk to some professionals about getting him into adolescent treatment. And uh, it's, we were kind of dragging our feet, which goes against everything we tell the parents we work with. And one night Michael came home. We happened to have three people in the industry at our home for dinner, one who owned an adolescent treatment facility and two who were interventionists. Michael chose that night to um, not only smoke pot, but take a bunch of Ambien, which I didn't know he had taken at the time. I just knew he was acting strange. And by the time everybody left, he was in this weird, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like this weird manic episode and then proceeded to get sick everywhere all over my bedroom. So I looked at my husband and I said, okay, now he has the red siren light on his head. He has to go to treatment. So fortunately, we sat him down. He was under 18. He's a sweet, sweet kid. Always was a sweet kid. So I didn't have to, we didn't have to deal with any behavioral issues. We just said, this is a problem and you're leaving tomorrow for treatment. And we got on a plane and again, as a parent, I was devastated. I couldn't eat. I, um, you know, I kept saying to my husband, where did we go wrong? My husband, who, bless God love him, looked at me and said, if you want to go down that road, go right ahead. But I'm not going down that road with you. We've done everything we can. And now we just need to deal with this issue. Um, fortunately, I had been going to Al-Anon for the, at that point for 13 years, had a sponsor. So that was my immediate call was for support in that way and, and received it and, and was told like, look, you didn't cause this. You can't cure it, but you have the options to do. 
And then I talked to, you know, my friends who work in the industry for just for moral support. So we get him on a plane and again, still just devastated that this is my son and where is his future going to go? We lived in an area where probably 99.9% of the kids go on to college and my son's going to drug treatment. And I remember coming back and we had lived in the same house for years. He'd gone to preschool with all the kids in, that he was in school with had gone to school and Michael goes missing. I mean, we've taken him to treatment and I didn't get one phone call and it crushed me. It just crushed me. And what I finally came to realize was sadly one, these parents thought, oh, if they hung around with our son, they would become addicts. And didn't you know their father went to treatment? So there was a lot of stigma around it. And then the others who didn't call, I, I know in my heart, were afraid that it could be their son. And they just had no words for it. So that was a bit of a process of, of acceptance. And um, so we, our son goes to treatment, stays three months, we go to family week every other weekend. We are diehards. Fortunately, someone told us from now on, you don't work in the industry. You are parents who don't know anything. And we took that to heart. And so we showed up for family week. We do a family contract. If Michael does this, that, or the other, he'll go back to treatment. And at that point, there was no adolescent sober living. Now there is, you know, there was no, I, we just didn't know what to do with him. So anyway, he comes home and I remember the therapist saying to us, the person who will break, break the contract will not be your child. It will be you. And I'm thinking, it will not be me. I know this stuff. Well, yep. I let him go to somebody's house and I get a call two days later that Michael took mushrooms. So I had, we sent him immediately back to treatment and I had to raise my hand when they asked what went wrong. And it was like, I broke the contract. One of the other, as a parent, I, and I'm going to fast forward now because my, we went through this with our son for five years. During that period, I would have, and to this day, I would tell you it felt like 20 years because I would cry, pray every night, please let him survive. And that was the devastating thing. There was only so much I could do. And I remember telling our son, who got angry at some points because he really thought, he believed that we thought everybody was an alcoholic or an addict or abused drugs. And we were just putting him in that pile. And we said, no, I don't know about anybody else, but we know you have an issue with this. And I said, I have to be able to lay my head down on my pillow at night so that if something does happen, I know I did the best I could do. And I followed the guidance of professionals for any parent listening. That's the number one key is to listen and let people who do this guide you because they know. And as hard as it is for us as parents to kind of give that up, that kind of control up, um, it's the best thing you can do for your child and for you. It just saves a lot of heartache. The mistakes I made, uh, Michael came out of treatment after a second stint in adolescent treatment. I bought him a puppy because I thought if he got busy with a puppy, he would be great. My husband asked me if I had called my Al-Anon sponsor and I got mad at him. So again, I'm doing what we tell parents not to do. So as a parent, don't buy a puppy. We raised the most beautiful lab until he passed away at age 15. My son always loved the dog, but he did not, it did not keep him sober. 
So, um, you know, through the five years of in and out, I think all told he was in 12 treatment slash sober living slash extended care facilities. And uh, he was on his own. I mean, he turned 18. Um, he wanted at one point to prove to us that he could stay sober. And we said, okay, you know, have at it. And he went to a really dark place. He ended up in Boulder, Colorado. He ended up with a grower's license. So he was growing for goodness knows who. And it was not going well for him. And we would hear from him about every, I don't know, once a month I would hear from him. But we weren't financially supporting him. And those were some of the darkest days because I didn't know what he was using. I didn't know. I He was using a lot of because he thought it was all natural, a lot of hallucinogen type things, the marijuana, the acid. Um, and I was afraid that a flip would be, a switch would be flipped and that he would go into psychosis and not come out. That was, that and death were my two greatest fears that were crippling to me. And fortunately, our daughter was also living in Boulder at the time. And she had called us and said, he's in, he's in trouble. So we called an interventionist. We went out there, we intervened. Um, he went to treatment for four whole days and went back out again. And I, at this point was, I thought this is it. We're never going to see him. A year and a half later, um, he was arrested. And then again, as a parent, absolutely devastating because I have people coming up to be in my neighborhood saying, you know, Joe's going to Yale and literally Joe's going to Yale. Oh, how's Michael doing? Well, you know, Michael's selling pot and working at a hot dog stand for three days. You know, I mean, I, it was so the shame that came around it was so devastating. And I, and I just had to accept it actually and think this is just where we are. And fortunately, a year and a half after leaving treatment, he was arrested. I always say, I'm making mama proud. And that was it for him. He was 21. He's not a kid who can make it on the streets. He's not a kid. Um, and when I say jail, I thought he was in, you know, San Quentin. And it ends up, he was somewhere in Washington. And it was like a dorm style place. I mean, and he would call me crying. And I, because he's, he's the sweetest boy. He'd call me crying. And the thing that I thought I would never say as a mother is, Michael, you can't cry in jail. Stop crying. They will beat you up. And again, another gut-wrenching thing that this is my reality right now. You know, this wasn't Susie next door's reality. This was my reality that I was having to deal with. But it that was what made him switch. That was at a time he knew he was going to lose his family permanently. We had set enough boundaries through all of this that he knew we would always support him going to treatment, but we weren't going to support this lifestyle. And we had a very, very close-knit family. And so that was the turning point for him. He finally was awake enough, like, I'm going to go to, I could go to prison. And he got sober then. And, you know, I... It's such a relief because he survived and there's so many that don't. And my heart, my heart goes out to those who struggle with this and that they don't survive. And he, he actually survived, is married now, has four kids and our family couldn't be closer. And that's what another thing to tell parents is going through all of this, our communication within our family, we're not perfect. We've got plenty of fault flaws, but 
our communication and what we live learned through this journey, I wouldn't trade for the world now. I just wouldn't. Because I, I know that I'm sure Johnny who went to Yale was is perfectly happy, but I know I have this close knit family that I always dreamed of. And the other thing I remember my Al Anon sponsor giving me, and I always mispronounce his name, Kilabrahan wrote The Prophet. And in it it's the there's the thing about our children. And it's something about our children. Uh, they are not us. They are of us and they come through us. And I always had to remember, I could only plant seeds. And all these treatment experiences he had, he got something out of every single one of them. When he got sober, his first phone call was to attack at the adolescent treatment center to say he finally got sober. And the next one was to a case manager who had been monitoring him, who he never passed a drug test, you know, but he'd get on the phone with her. And those were the two calls that he made. And he started this journey when he was 16. So for parents who you get the idea, like, is this all for not? And it's, it's not, it, they get something out of every experience. And then finally, hopefully it all comes together. So that's kind of our story or my story. You know, you kind of talked through your fears. You talked about the supports that you leaned on or some of those that didn't show up. Um, so I'm actually just going to ask you one follow-up question. And you did kind of, you peppered in some really strong nuggets, right, of advice for parents out there right now that may be experiencing this or having similar experiences. But if you could just broadly give any advice to a parent who's going through the thick of this right now, maybe something you haven't already added, what advice would you give that person right now? Turn to the professionals. I know I said that, but I can't say it loud enough. It's turn to the professionals, um, put faith in them that they know what they're doing and find yourself a support group. If that, I mean, the one great thing out of COVID is Zoom. Find a support group of people that are working towards finding some piece, a solution that can help you through this because you feel so alone and you're not. There's millions of us out there across the world and you're not alone in this at all. There are so many parents that would speak to you, talk to you and help guide you through this as well. So. That I think those are the two things that I that got me through. That's what got me through. And the other thing is I did have to detach. I had to remind myself that I had to have fun as a human being. I couldn't get lost in this too because I would be no good to my son if I got lost. And I had to quit believing everything that came out of his mouth. You know, I had to, yeah, so I would just say, fine, don't lose yourself in this. Find some outlet of fun and joy for yourself. And the other members of your family, you have other children, you could have other children at home and they do get pushed to the side and that's not fair to them either. So it's a delicate balance. Well, Stephanie, thank you for taking the time to share like the snapshot of your journey and kind of sharing some really strong advice for parents that are going through this right now. 
And we'll also make sure that we have in the show notes contact directly with you. I mean, obviously, we kind of talked about this before. This series is meant to be anonymous. And for the parents that are willing to to be identified, putting themselves out there as, as a resource to be available to other parents, we'll make sure that we have uh, your contact information in there so they can reach out to you. Thank you again. Absolutely. That's it for this week's Success is Subjective episode. I want to thank the parents for joining me on this week and for being willing to share their journey. It's raw, vulnerable, and takes some serious courage to be willing to put their voice out there into the podcast universe. Stay tuned for the next episode in this special parent series where you can bet it'll be another family sharing their personal story of adversity, acceptance, and peace. You might have noticed that there's no contact information in the show notes for this special parent series, but if you're interested in getting connected to the parent on a particular podcast episode, please email me, Joanna, J-O-A-N-N-A, at successissubjective.org. If you are a parent who's interested in being a guest on the podcast, also email me at joanna at successissubjective.org. I will be remiss if I didn't tell you to check out the collegealternative.org and lilyconsulting.com websites for additional resources outside of podcasting. If you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, please do me a favor and subscribe. And while you're at it, feel free to leave a review. You can also download to listen to the Success is Subjective podcast on any other popular podcast apps such as Amazon, Audible, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. And last but not least... Success is Subjective is listener-supported, made possible by me and you. You can show support for the continuation of this podcast by donating on the successissubjective.org website. Thank you for tuning in, and remember, there is no single path through life. Success is what you make it. Do you have a teenager or young adult who seems to have lost their way? Maybe they need help navigating adolescence, adulthood, and decisions surrounding higher education. Or maybe they have become withdrawn, their grades are slipping, or they are flat out living a reckless lifestyle, and you're concerned about their health and well-being. If this describes what your teen or young adult is facing, a therapeutic consultant may be able to help. Mental health, addiction recovery, and higher education can all be equally expensive. While information is everywhere, how do you know what option is the best one for your family? Some parents have the time to research and navigate this on their own. Some don't. If the latter applies to you, enter Therapeutic Consultants. Therapeutic Consultants, like Joanna, listen to your family's specific needs and advocate on behalf of your loved one. TCs will research therapeutic resources, recommend treatment programs, and assist during adulthood transitions. Not being affiliated with any program, their support is completely objective and catered toward the best interest of each unique family. To find a qualified therapeutic consultant to work with, check out TCA, also known as the Therapeutic Consulting Association. Their website is therapeuticconsulting.org, all one word. Again, that's therapeuticconsulting.org. Then click the Find a Pro tab up at the top.